Welcome to Harvest Mission Community Church. You are listening to one of our sermons. So we're going to go ahead and ask you to turn to Romans chapter 5. We're going to be looking at the first 11 verses. And uh, hopefully you've received uh, the notes uh, already from, uh, from your leaders. If you haven't, it's coming. So just uh, go ahead and uh, look behind the lookout for that. And so you can follow along as I... The notes are there, my outline, and what I'm going to be talking about, and hopefully that this will encourage us to learn, which I believe this is one of the most pivotal chapters in the book of Romans. So if you understand the first four chapters, what we talked about, chapter five, starting today, it's going to be very impactful as we look all the way to chapter, look ahead, even chapter six, chapter seven, chapter eight as we talk about sin and how to overcome some of those things in the future as we talk about it. So I'm really excited about what God will be doing. I don't know about you, but I hope all of us can agree that we are living in uncertain times. And if you know anything about uncertainty, it's that we can be certain that uncertainty always produces a sense of fear. Sometimes there's lack of trust. And it's really hard to depend on things because those are the things that are changing. So we end up trusting and depending on ourselves. Now, think about just what's happening right now. I mean, I I don't know about you, but I really felt that we were going to overcome this. And it kind of felt a little bit back to what it was a little bit like a year or so ago when uh, after that first couple waves, uh, the restaurants were open and the gyms and the bars and the different places where you can go karaoke, all those places were open, so we're like, okay, things are looking pretty good. And all of a sudden, now we're back to what was happening back in 2020. And so when I was thinking about this, I realized, wow, you cannot depend on anything. As soon as you think this is set, then something else happens, and it's not set anymore. It's not written in stone. Now we have to look at something else. Uh, It seems like as our life group is building momentum, then all of a sudden we're back on Zoom and trying to do life group that way, even church in that way. One thing that I do want to encourage you is just make sure that you're not alone. Uh, I talk to many different pastors and they're saying that so many people are and their congregants are struggling with mental health and depression and loneliness. And it's, it's amazing how addictions have been on the rise now. Some of those things that people were able to overcome, now they're engaging in those things again and it's hindering not only their health, but also hindering them in terms of their spirituality. So I want to just encourage us, let's make sure that throughout the, I don't know how long, it's about two weeks now that we're going to have this restriction, but let's pray that it will be done, but also let's pray for those people and make sure that no one is by themselves and they have people surrounding them. And so as I was thinking about uncertain times, uh, and we can't really plan for everything. I, I was just kind of thinking, I, I am a little bit kind of disappointed, discouraged. Uh, I think it finally hit uh, Christina and I uh, uh, when we were kind of getting into um, the Christmas holiday. Because this was the first Christmas where we actually didn't have one of our kids or all our kids with us. And if you've been doing this for 20-some years and all of a sudden it's just like n- n- now the whole scenario has changed. You realize that sometimes in these uncertain times, you're wondering, uh, is there anything that is secure? Is there anything that you can really bank on or depend on and really believe that it is something that can foster greater trust and even greater love? 
And so when we think about this, one of the things that I, I've been trying to reframe my mindset, and let me explain a little bit of what I'm talking about. Instead of complaining, instead of trying to figure out like, you know, why is this, why is that? One of the things that I've been trying to do, especially in the last two years, I've been asking this question, God, what is it that you're trying to say to me? And as soon as I get into that mindset, God, what is it that you're trying to say to me? And then I'm also asking, because I was leading this church and uh, doing other things, God, what is it that you're speaking to our church? What is it that you're trying to say to the church, capital C, all over the world? What is it that you're doing? And as I'm asking some of these questions, what is it that you're doing? What are you trying to say to me? One of the things I've come to realization is that oftentimes, it is through a struggle, a difficulty, or even a hardship that actually God is working in the midst of that. Let me, let me put it in a way that maybe some of us can understand. A lot of times where, when you're in the process of the struggle, it's really difficult to see that God has a plan. God has a purpose for this. All we do is we feel and we see and we hear, and we're going through things in our lives, and we're wondering, why is this the case? And it's only many months or weeks or even years later do we look back and we realize, wow, God, you are sovereign. God, you were, you, you were purposeful in what you were doing. I think this idea of the struggle is something that we have to learn at this stage of our church and in your life. Whether you are a college student, you could be a high school student, college student, you can be a single adult, you could be uh, just engaged or a, a married couple, a married couple with kids, without kids. Let me just tell you, whichever life stage you're in right now, this is something that we have to learn because there will be more things that will come up in the future. Let me explain. The metaphor that I want to use is this idea of a butterfly. And some of you might have heard this before, but the butterfly, in the midst of the struggle, is actually developing something. It's nature's way or God's way of creating this beautiful butterfly, but it's to go through the struggle so that they could develop something that they're going to need for the future. I want to read to you a poem by Pablo um, Coelho, and in his poem it says, The Lesson of the Butterfly. Will you just kind of... Uh, uh, just kind of follow along, and I'm going to read this uh, lesson of the butterfly. It's a poem, and he writes this. A man spent hours watching a butterfly struggling to emerge from its cocoon. It managed to make a small hole, but its body was too large to get through it. After a long struggle, it appeared to be exhausted and remained absolutely still. The man decided to help the butterfly, and with a pair of scissors, he cut open the cocoon, thus releasing the butterfly. However, the butterfly's body was very small and wrinkled, and its wings were all crumpled. The man continued to watch, uh, hoping that at any moment the butterfly would open its wings and fly away. Nothing happened. In fact, the butterfly spent the rest of its brief life dragging around its shrunken body and shriveled wings, incapable of flight. What the man, out of kindness and his eagerness to help, had failed to understand was that the tight cocoon and the efforts that the butterfly had to make in order to squeeze out of that tiny hole were nature's way of training the butterfly and of strengthening its wings. And I realized that even in 
nature in the animal world, you realize that a lot of the things that we struggle through or as they struggle through, there's a purpose behind it. What would your life be if you can actually come to that realization that everything that you're going through right now in your life, that there's a purpose behind it? In fact, it might be something that you might not fully understand now. But if you believe in a God who is not only sovereign, but he, he, he loves you, he is good, and everything that he does, he does it purposefully. If we trust that and believe that, whatever it is that you're going through, even some of the, the worst things of your life, that God is somehow going to use that. So what I wanted to do is I wanted to show you this video. It's a really short video. And this video actually is by National Geographic, and what they did was they time-lapsed a caterpillar uh, turning into a cocoon and then turning into a butterfly. And it's about a minute and 50-some seconds long, but I want you to watch this because even though it's, you know, it's, it's a little bit fast in terms of the time-lapse, you will notice that there's a struggle as you look at this cocoon. And that's the very thing that the butterfly has to go through in order to have its wings and to fly. So let's watch this together. Isn't that amazing to be able to just see, uh, even though it's time-lapse, to be able to see it struggling through so that it could develop the wings so that once it gets out of the cocoon that it begins to fly. A lot of times we don't see the beauty in the struggle. We always see it at the end. But oftentimes it is in that space where we are struggling where the beauty comes forth. I'm wondering if we've forgotten about the struggle. Many of you have not because you're in the midst of that struggle right now. It could be something with your family. It could be something dealing with your future. It could be something dealing with maybe some sins that you're trying to struggle through. It might be just you're fighting yourself in many ways things that are eternal, maybe mentally, spiritually. And in that struggle, what we forget is that God is not only in the midst of it, that he's there, but he's preparing us for something great. So I'm praying that it's during these uncertain times that we can experience the love of God. Through that, we can be secure, and in that security, we can live out the purpose that God has for us. So let me give us the one thing. The one thing is simply this, that God's love gives us security even in times of uncertainty. That God's love gives us security even in times of uncertainty. You know, as we kind of dive into Romans chapter 5, uh, I want to remind us once again that it's God's love that gives us a security. And so that whatever we're facing and during these uncertainties of our lives, that we can trust in him. So I want to talk about that. There are two things that I want to mention as we look at Romans chapter 5, verse 1 through 11. The first thing is that the gospel allows us to rejoice in God. If, if we are going to experience a sense of security during these uncertain times, then we have to understand that the gospel allows us to rejoice in God. Uh, before I explain a little bit about that in the first four or five verses, I want to just review about this whole gospel paradigm. And I know that I do it every single time after we haven't talked about Romans, but it's so imperative that you understand this gospel paradigm. I think for many of you, you grew up in the church 
where the gospel is really about Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and he rose again from the dead. And now if you would just receive him as Lord and Savior, then your life is good. And that's how we understood the gospel. And that's such a truncated way to look at who God is and what he's doing. So one of the things that we made it very clear is we're going to look at it as different epics that's happening all throughout history. So the first, if you look at this diagram, as many of you have seen it before, we're talking about creation, that God in the beginning created all things good. And so that is part of the gospel story. And then he talks about the fall because of sin that entered into this world. And then now because of sin, people turned away from God. Instead of turning to God, they turned away from God. So God, in his love for us, he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross. And that's where we have the redemption, that he redeemed us, he purchased us back. And then we see this idea of restoration, that God is restoring all things. Now, it's not going to be complete because there's still sin in this world and the kingdom of God is here, but not fully yet. And so we understand that as we're participating in this work of restoration, things are not going to be 100%, but we could still push for that, live for that, because why? Because we want to help people to see who God is as we restore as many things as possible around us to what it was originally intended. And one of the things that help us to understand in this patchwork, if you want to look at it, the, the, the creation, the fall, the redemption, and restoration, is that just remember this idea of the gift. If you remember the acronym, the gift, because it's woven into these four major pillars and the gift is simply God, that God is in every single aspect. And so we cannot forget about it's God who's working. It's God who's initiating. It's God who's stirring our hearts. It's God who's redeeming. It's God who's restoring. So we got to realize the work of God in this whole process of the gospel. And then the I, it, um, the I stands for the Israelites, that God had a plan for the Israelites, that it was through Abraham and the generations after him, that the Messiah will come, that he was going to redeem all people. So we cannot forget another important part, which is the Israelites. And then the F is the fulfillment, that all of God's promises is now being fulfilled through Jesus Christ because he came into this world, prophesied about him that he was going to come, be, in, uh, be born uh, in Bethlehem. And all these prophecies we see, it was fulfilled through Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus is a very important part of this gospel story. And lastly, the T is transformation, that God not only transforms us with the gospel, but he wants us to go and transform the world. And that's part of the whole restoration process. So God, the Israelite people, fulfillment and transformation is all interwoven in this idea of creation and the fall and the redemption and the restoration. So that is the full picture of the gospel. And therefore, now we have Jesus who is the king and he has this kingdom that he ushered in when he came into this world. And what he's doing is he's inviting us to be a part of this kingdom as a kingdom citizen now that we ought to live this kingdom lifestyle for his glory. That's why I believe if you really understand the fullness of the gospel, not just the truncated that Jesus died and you, you can now have eternal life, but this fullness of the gospel, some of you will start finding out what your purpose is in life. You'll start realizing what is it that God assigned to you? What is he calling you to do? Because you realize it's part of the restoration. But if it's only about salvation and that's it, then you're going to be a Sunday church goer. That it's just about going to church and doing a religious thing. But if you see it as a fullness of your gospel, not only internally are you being transformed, but you want to go out and then transform the world. So that is the gospel 
paradigm that we're trying to talk about here. And if you remember Apostle Paul, I'm not going to review the whole four chapters, but just simply, if you remember, Apostle Paul mentions earlier in Romans chapter 1, verse 17, and I'm going to read it for us. It says this in the ESV. It says, For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. That verse, chapter 1, verse 17, is literally the summary of what he was trying to argue for the first four chapters. That it is righteousness by faith, not by works, not what you do, because now you are part of this kingdom. The righteousness has been purchased by Jesus Christ, so we are made righteous, not because of who we are in our goodness or what we try to accomplish, but it is by faith. That's why if you do not have faith in what Jesus Christ has done for you, because it is finished, if you do not believe in that, then it's all by righteousness, by works. And we argue that for the first four chapters as we look at what Paul was saying. Now we're going to jump into this because now we're looking at chapter 5. This is the pivot or hinge point. The first four chapters was talking about this whole gospel that it's about righteousness by faith. It's for faith and by faith. Because it is written that the righteous will live by faith. Now in chapter 5, all the way to chapter 8, he's going to talk about now what does that mean and how should we live now in the midst of all the things we're going through. And that's why this book is an incredible book as you think about just the way he begins to develop his thought. So hopefully you've turned to Romans chapter 5. I'm going to go ahead and read the first two verses. And I want to talk a little bit about this because the gospel it should help us to bring the sense of rejoicing because of who he is and what he has done. It says this, chapter 5, verse 1. It says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Let's just pause here and look at these two verses and then slowly build up the argument as I'm talking about the importance of how the gospel allows us to rejoice in God, no matter what you're going through in your life. As I mentioned before, the first four chapters is about righteousness by faith. Now, Paul begins this new chapter with chapter uh, 5, verse 1, with the word, therefore. So what he's simply saying is, first four chapters all about righteousness for faith and by faith, and the righteous shall live by faith. And he goes, now therefore, if you know all this about the gospel, what he's simply saying is now that word therefore is a transitory or a transitional word which brings the focus back on what Paul was arguing for. So this is what's important. And let me expound on this a little bit. Paul says, since we have been justified by faith, one of the first things that we will experience is what? Peace with God. If you have genuinely trusted in Jesus Christ for salvation and also taken the invitation to be a part of his kingdom, one of the first things that you should experience is peace with God. And this only comes through Jesus Christ. I think the problem with so many of us are trying to find peace in so many other things, and you're not going to find it. Because all these things that you're trying to find peace in, it is just temporary things. That's why once you take that exam, you don't have peace because you don't know the results. Once you get the results, then you have peace. It's conditional. Some of us, as we think about our job situation, our family situation, we don't have peace. We're worried. We're doubting. We're questioning. But once it works out, then we have peace. 
That is not the type of peace that Paul is trying to talk about. What he's simply saying is since we have been justified with, by faith, now we have peace with God. One of the most important areas that we need peace with is our relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's why we cannot obey God's law or fulfill his will. Why? Because we are enemies of God. That's what the Bible says. That you and I have sinned against God and therefore we are now enemies of God. There's enmity, a, a wall, a barrier between us and God. So many people are not having this peace with God, but they're trying to earn that peace with God. That's why a lot of people are not saved by grace and grace alone. But they're at war with God. God's wrath is upon you and it's upon me because we have sinned against a holy God. So that's why there's enmity between us and God. But this is where the gospel comes in. That Jesus Christ came and died on the cross so now we're justified by faith and God is making peace with us. He is declaring peace with us. Now when I see you, a sinful person who have rebelled against me, I see Jesus Christ because that righteousness has been purchased by my son. So now we're at peace with God. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13 through 16. We get this idea. Why don't you read the yellow section with me? It says this, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who have made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So what we see is that by experiencing the gospel, it causes us to experience so much joy and this blessing that we have that now we have peace with God and we can now live here on this earth until we go and see him face to face. We can live here on this earth with the blessings that God has given to us because it's not earned, but it has been given to us freely. Now in verse two, as we have read, we see it is not only peace with God, but now we have faith. By faith, we have access to God's grace. That we can actually experience God's grace through the faith that we have, that is faith in the righteousness of Christ and not our own. Now, why is all this important? Because as soon as you have peace with God, because you realize that it's not righteousness on your own, but righteousness purchased by Jesus Christ, not only are you at peace with God, but you will notice that now you can experience God's grace which is also by faith. Now, as we continue in chapter, verse 2, one of the things you'll see is that as we experience God's grace, peace with God, he says, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now, I want to read it in other translations to help us to understand what it is that Paul is trying to say. I think this will give us the idea and why the gospel should cause us to rejoice in God. The message translation says this, and that's not all. We, come on, say this with me, throw open our doors to God and discover at the same time, at the same moment, that he has already thrown open his door to us. If we find ourselves standing where we always hoped we might stand, out in the 
wide open spaces of God's grace and glory, standing tall and shouting our praise. What I want you to try to understand is this idea of opening the door. Is there's an access, but it's to this wide open space, the generosity of God. And it says at the end, standing tall and shouting our praise. That's a little bit of the idea of rejoicing. We stand tall and then we're able to shout our praises. Listen to what the Passion Translation says. uh, says. It says this, Our faith guarantees us permanent access into this marvelous kindness that has given us a perfect relationship with God. What, come on, say this, incredible joy bursts forth within us as we keep on celebrating our hope of experiencing God's glory. And I want to read the voice translation. It says this, Jesus leads us into a place of radical grace where we are able to celebrate the hope of experiencing God's glory. So what do we get this idea of rejoicing? Is this, this, this concept of rejoicing, standing tall, and being able to shout our praise. It's because of this hope that we have in Christ that we can rejoice, we can celebrate, we can stand tall, that we can actually shout our praise. It's only because of the gospel. That's why I want to keep on emphasizing how you must not only know the gospel, listen to me carefully, you have to experience it. There are many of you who are watching me right now, I think you know the gospel. You can actually describe it, tell it, explain it. But many of you just know it up here, but you haven't experienced it in your life. And until you begin to experience it, which is still by faith, with this, which is still trusting in him, it's all going to be head knowledge. This is the reason why I keep on saying, and I want you to listen to me carefully. This is, I'm speaking from my heart now. This is the reason why when you see people who are walking with Christ, and even in some of the most difficult situations, there's a sense of peace, there's a sense of just graciousness, there's a sense of rejoicing and celebrating, not celebrating because all the bad things are happening, but celebrating in who God is, even in the midst of the struggle. One thing that I could be 100% sure is that this person has experienced the gospel. This is the reason why I say over and over again, when you have somebody who's a little bit older, in their 40s, their 50s, or even in their 60s, they exude this maturity because they have gone through life. You meet a college student who's a freshman who got straight A's their whole life and they're going through finals and they drop their score by .01 and they're like, oh my God, my life is ruined. You look at them and you want to laugh at them. We're not laughing at your pain, but we're just simply, we will laugh at you. Why? Because it's not the end of the world. Just because you got a 3.98 now and not a 4.0, the world is not going to collapse. That's why you talk to any single adults, any married couples and families, they'll laugh at you because they're thinking, point one, huh. There's going to be other things that will be harder. There are some of you who are not college students. You're working now. Some of you who are married and have families. And as I said before, some of us haven't experienced the death of a loved one yet. And that matures you. It gives you perspective about life. 
Some of you haven't been betrayed. Some of you haven't experienced a lot of pain, even at workplace, or maybe a tragedy. That will mature you. But the problem is that oftentimes when we go through these things, because we don't have this deep relationship with Jesus Christ through the gospel, what happens is that we start getting bitter. There's nothing wrong to question or maybe doubt God, to say, God, I don't understand. But if you know the gospel, but it hasn't filtrated into your heart, into your life, when difficult time comes, you're going to struggle. This is the reason why at this moment of your life, as many of you are young, this is the time to internalize the gospel. That's why, once again, Paul says, therefore, because all this righteousness by faith, we have peace with God, and now we have access, the door is flung wide open to the generosity of God's grace in our lives. And through that, now, we can rejoice and have this hope. Because it's not temporary things, but it's something that God has done for us in His grace. The word rejoice means boast, brag, or exalt. Therefore, the focus is not on us. Listen to me. The focus is not on us, but it's on God. This is the reason why some of you who are still very young in your faith as well as age-wise, the focus is on whom all the time. If you don't know who it is, just find a mirror. Uh, I'm telling you right now, one of the fastest ways to mature you is marriage. So for whatever reason, if not to have kids and, you know, the next generation, just get married uh, because it will mature you. Somebody like, oh, I don't want to get married now. Then you want to be a child. You want to be childish. What I'm saying is this. You cannot get away with a lot of these things in a marriage relationship, in a committed relationship, a covenant relationship, and allow things to continue to be self-centered and make it all about you. Now, if it's a five-month-old baby, it is all about him or her because they don't know how to eat by themselves. They don't know how to do things by themselves. They don't know how to go to a bathroom by themselves. But this is a sad reality. There are many of you in our church and some I know you personally who are still immature, self-centered, and you make it all about you. And the problem with that is you're not going to be able to rejoice when you go through difficult times. Because that word rejoice means to boast, to brag, and to exalt. So if you rejoice in God, then you're saying, I'm going to boast about God, I'm going to brag about God, I'm going to exalt God. But if you're self-centered, there's no way you can boast and brag and exalt God. It's all about you. That's why when things happen, you get self-focused. Man, I remember my wife was on my case, and other people have kind of hinted at me. Like, they would say, you, you have a way when you step, in a room, step into a room that no matter what kind of emotion or feeling you are, you change the climate. So if I come in, I'm like, woo, 
praise the Lord, you know. I'm like, oh, God is good. Everyone's like, oh, he is good. And they, you know, they're a little bit happy. But if I'm like focused and maybe something happened or I have to deal with something and my mind is preoccupied and I walk into the room and it looks like, you know, I'm going to kill somebody, then everyone's like, Shoo. There's some people who are nodding, you know, amen and all that. And so I realized that every single time I get consumed with myself, consumed with my little world, that it's hard to rejoice. It's hard to have the sense of peace. So when I was younger in my faith, it, it began to affect people. In, I mean, praise God, things are a little bit better because God is trying to mature me, help me to grow in my faith. That's why I want to encourage us. Like even just our attitudes, our, our moods, it affects people. Because oftentimes whatever mood you're going through, when, if it's a bad mood, it's because it's all about you. It's probably something didn't happen that you wanted and it didn't happen. Now you're affecting everyone else. That's what you got to repent of and say, God changed me. I can't do this by myself. I'm self-centered by nature. I need you. Let's continue on as we read verse 3 to 5. This is what it says. Not only that, but we rejoice, once again, brag, boast, exult in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Interesting. Because if you have experienced the gospel, we will have a different perspective on our struggle. We will have a different outlook on our difficulties or hardships. Paul says we rejoice in our suffering. But why? That's the question. How in the world can you brag, boast, and exalt and rejoice in suffering? It's because Paul knew that, excuse me, that God had a purpose and that God is working on him. Can I ask you this? For every single struggle and difficulties you're going through right now, if you knew with 100% certainty that not only is God in it and he's with you, but he's doing something to prepare you for something great. Would that not change your perspective? Just think about life. Many of you who are working, you have a family. A lot of times we work hard because why? Because we know that end result, we're going to be able to get a promotion. We're going to be able to get something. So we endure. Same with, uh, you know, women who carry this nine-pound bowling ball in their womb for like nine months. I mean, they're dying. They're like, oh, my God, you know. And every time I see that, my heart just breaks. I'm like, man, you know, just think about it. Why do they go through nine? Because knowing that at the end, there's going to be life. There's going to be this baby that will come forth. Why do you study so hard? Why do you go through this? Why do you exercise? Why do you do anything in life when things are hard? Because you know that at the end, it's going to produce something. That's why the word suffering, it means affliction distresses or pressures. 
So we're talking about things that we go through every single day. There's pressures every single day at work. There's pressures from school, pressure from our family. There's pressure from our roommates. There's pressure from all different parts of the world that's coming at us. These distresses, these pressures. And the thing that Paul wants us to understand is that by going through some of these things, the pressures, the distresses, the afflictions, the suffering, what he's trying to awaken, and this is what I want you to pay attention to, what he is trying to awaken us to is that it is going to release a chain of events. Everyone say chain of events. An event. That when you go through the suffering, it is going to release a chain of events. What are some of those things, the chain of events that we're talking about? Well, as you know, as we've just read, it's simply through suffering, it's going to produce endurance, or in other translation, perseverance. And then endurance, what it produces, it's character. It produces character in us. And then character then produces hope. Follow this chain of events. When you go through suffering, it will produce endurance or perseverance. And when you have this perseverance, what it will do is produce character in you. And when you begin to have this character in you, then you will have this hope. So if you want to play it back, and when we go through suffering, the reason why we don't have hope is because we don't want to go through the endurance, the perseverance. We don't want to go through the character building. We just want to go from suffering to hope. It doesn't work that way. The most hopeful people, let's start from this end, the most hopeful people are the ones who have had their character shaped. And they're the ones who have had to go through some difficult times through endurance and perseverance. And there was a moment of some kind of suffering or hardship. It's that simple. This is the reason why so many of us are so cynical. I want you to listen to me very carefully. This is a very cynical generation in some ways. The reason why a person is cynical, if you meet any cynic, I want you to understand this. They don't have hope. They doubt everyone's motives. They look at their situations like, oh, it's just whatever. It's because they lack hope. It's really hard. I would say it is an oxymoronic thing to a point where it doesn't make sense where you have a cynic who's hopeful. That's just, it's not compatible. A person who is hopeful cannot be a cynical person. But a person who's cynical is that they do not have hope. So I want you to put this together now. If a person does not have hope, that means that their character has not been built to the level that they need to have be built up in, which means that whatever suffering and hardships they've gone through, they weren't able to endure. And oftentimes it's because they've trusted in themselves rather than in Jesus Christ. If you look at other passages, we read this some time back, but I want to bring it back to us so that we could understand it with this new fresh lens of how suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, character produces hope. In James chapter 1, verse 2 to 4, I'm going to read it from the ESV. It says, count it all joy, this idea of rejoicing. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness or perseverance. 
And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete. That word perfect means mature, perfect, which is character. Perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. I'm going to read it for a couple other translations to give you a little bit more insights. Read the yellow section with me so that you could just declare that out. It says this in the Passion Translation. My fellow believers, when it seems as though you are facing nothing but difficulties, see it as what? Come on. Invaluable opportunity to experience the greatest joy that you can. Do you think like that? That the suffering and the difficulties that I'm going through right now, that it is an invaluable opportunity. That as I'm struggling uh, in my relationship with people, whether it's your parents or parents to children or your spouse, that that's an invaluable opportunity to learn so that later on you can minister to other people. As we talk about all the time, out of our greatest misery comes forth our greatest ministry. I'm wondering if some of the things that you're going through is such an invaluable opportunity for you to mature and to grow and to have endurance and perseverance so that you can have hope. So when you have hope, when other people go through the same thing that you're going through, they can look to you and you can share your story that I went through the same thing. But how did I get this hope? It's by God's grace. And I'm beginning to understand the gospel more and more. How powerful would that be? Not only for other believers in our church, but more powerfully for the pre-Christians who are out there in the world who need to know that Jesus Christ loves them and Jesus Christ has inviting, is inviting them to his kingdom. This invaluable opportunity. Verse 3 says, For you know that when your faith is tested, it what? Come on, say this with me. Stirs up in you the power of endurance. That's powerful. That testing, the suffering, the pressures, the distresses, what it's doing is stirring up in you the power of endurance. And then your endurance grows even stronger. It will release perfection or maturity into every part of your being until there is nothing missing and nothing lacking. Listen to what the voice translation says. Don't run from tests and hardships, brothers and sisters, as difficult as they are. You will ultimately find joy in them. If what? Come on, say this. If you embrace them, your faith will what? Blossom under pressure and teach you true patience as you endure. And the true patience brought on by endurance will equip you to complete the long journey and cross the finish line, mature, complete, and, not, and wanting nothing. Is that what God's doing in some of us? Have we forgotten that maybe some of the things that we're struggling with is the very thing that God is going to use to refine us, mature us, to make us put our hope not in all these other things, but in Him. Because so many things of this world is uncertain. But His love, it is certain and it brings security to us. That's why in verse 5 we are reminded that this hope that we have is forged out of suffering. It will not put us to shame. That phrase, not put us to shame, it talks about, and even in the New Living Translate, this hope will not lead us to disappointment. How many of you get disappointed? Oh, you're going to hang out with me? And all of a sudden, it it, it doesn't work. Oh, oh, we're going to have dinner? But then it doesn't work out. Oh, I'm going to get a raise. Dude, are you sure? Are you sure? Yeah, I heard. And then you don't get a raise. I think she likes you. Are you sure? I think so. 
I mean, just think about on a daily basis how many disappointments we face. Because not only are we focused on ourselves, but these are temporary things. But what he's simply saying is what? That when you go through some of these difficult things, it's, it's producing this perseverance, endurance. And when this endurance is working in you, it's going to produce character, Christ-like character. And when you have this Christ-like character, it's going to give you hope that is unchanging, that doesn't waver back and forth, but it is a hope that is found in Jesus Christ. That's why we can rejoice. That's why we could boast in our weaknesses. That's why we could boast about God. That's why we could brag about how awesome God is and not how great we are. It's because we have this hope which allows us to rejoice. And in this hope, because it's building character, and character is forged in this climate of endurance and perseverance which comes from suffering and difficulties in our lives. Oh, how I pray that as a church, no matter how difficult things are, we could always see with this kind of perspective. It will change your life forever. And the reason why that our hope is not based on circumstances is because it is centered on God and His promises. That's why I love verse 5. Verse 5b, the second part of it. It says, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. This idea of God's love being poured into our hearts reminds us that God's love, His supply of love is inexhaustible. It will never run out. Free flow. I mean, it is constantly flowing. He, so, so think about it. Here you are, you're filled with all this love and you're trying to love all these people. You're trying to, try to be secure in all this stuff. But then it slowly starts going down. But then all of a sudden, his love continues to be poured in through the Holy Spirit, so you're filled up again. Wouldn't that be awesome if every single day you have 10,000 uh, Hong Kong dollars in your bank account every day? And if you don't use it, it's going to go to zero, and the next day there's going to be another 10,000. I guarantee you, none of you will be like, I don't know if I have enough money for that. That's about 150 for that. You're going to be looking around and say, it's on me. It's on me. Go ahead, get that. $230 for that stick, go get that. That's why we could be generous if you understand the gospel. It's because he's pouring it into our hearts. He's pouring it into our lives. Not only his love, his grace, his forgiveness, his mercy, his patience, his forgiveness. He's pouring it into our lives. So when we then give it out, then he will fill us with more. That's why I like the message translation of that last part of that verse. Quite the contrary, we can't round up enough containers to what? Hold everything God generously pours into our lives through the Holy Spirit. I love that idea. <laughs> Bring some more containers, right? There's not going to be enough to hold everything that's coming out. That's the generosity of the gospel. That's why people have experienced the gospel. They're generous, not just with money, but with time, with their talents. How can I serve? How can I bless? Because they've experienced the generosity of God. How about us? I'm wondering if we have this kind of perspective, especially when you're going through difficult times. Do you see God working in you and through you during these times? 
I'm wondering if you've really deeply experienced the gospel. That you can have the sense of rejoicing in God. Because when you do, that's what's going to give you the sense of security in the times that are uncertain. Let me just close out with this last thought. We talked about how the gospel allows us to rejoice in God. I want to just close out with this gospel message that Paul talks about in chapter 5, verse 6 through 11, and it's simply that God allows us to be reconciled with him. That the gospel allows us to be reconciled with God. Let me quickly read verse 6 through 11. Listen to what it says in this passage here. It says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly, for one who... For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one who dare even to die. But God showed his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were, still, or while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. What I'm going to just point out for us is simply this, that after talking about pouring God's love into our hearts, the Apostle Paul now describes the nature of God's love, which gives us this assurance of the hope that we have. Let me list a couple of these things. Now, this is what I want you to notice. The power of was not just talked about, but it was demonstrated. God is not like your life group chat where someone shares something like, we'll pray for you, we'll pray for you, we'll pray for you. What God is saying is that I'm actually showing you and demonstrating to you my love. So there will be no doubt that this love is love of another kind. The first thing that we have to understand about the power of his love that was demonstrated is that the perf- uh, timing was perfect. It was the perfect timing. In Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 through 5, it says this, But when the what? The fullness of time has come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoptions as sons. What it's simply saying is that at the right time, it's this fullness of time. God in his wisdom knew exactly when it had to be revealed that Jesus Christ will come into this world. Now, let me just give us some encouraging news in this. There are some of you who are praying for your friends, your loved ones, your colleagues, uh, just your people that you know, but it seems so frustrating because their hearts are not open. This fullness of time is not only when Jesus came into this world, but it could also be applied into our own lives and people around us because maybe the timing is not right. So that doesn't mean you don't do anything, but keep on loving, keep on planting seeds. And when the fullness of time arrives, something will happen and they're going to start realizing. I don't know how many times the people I've tried to share their faith with, many people that I've counseled over the years, and sometimes I feel like I'm speaking to a wall. It's just going through one year out the other. It's bouncing right back. But one of the things I realize is they go through a difficult situation. They go through a breakup. They go through maybe something at work. They get fired. They find out that someone in their family or loved one has a, a disease. 
And it's that moment when they realize that all their works and everything they're trying to do, like it cannot help that situation. That's when in the fullness of time, in the right moment, God starts working in that person's life. And all the investments you made, all the prayers, all the time spent, all the coffee that you bought them, all these things, in the fullness of time, they will come to the realization. So don't lose hope. Keep on praying. So we see God demonstrates his love because in the fullness of time, at the right moment, the timing was perfect. The second thing is this. It was for the powerless. Not only was the timing perfect, but it was for the powerless. The phrase, while we were still weak, reminds us that we have no strength and that we were feeble. That's what the translation of while we were weak is that we had no strength. We were powerless. We could not save ourselves. We had no power to save ourselves. It was in that moment when you come to that realization, there's nothing that I can do. I cannot solve that relationship issue. I cannot change my spouse. I cannot change my parents. I cannot change my roommate. When you come to that realization, I have no power, Lord. I cannot change my boss. I cannot change my situation that I'm in. And you come to that realization, I'm weak to do so. I'm powerless to do so. And I'm feeble to do so. That's when you begin to experience more of his love. The third thing is this. Not only was the timing perfect and it was for the powerless, but it was for the pitiful. When you look at this portion of scripture, it says that Christ died for whom? The ungodly or sinners. Those who were to be pitied because of their, literally their life that was completely separated from God. I think one of the great examples in the scriptures that we see is in the book of Luke You'll notice in chapter 18 that, that, that story about the Pharisee and the sinner. And they will go into the temple and they will pray. And the Pharisee will say, well, look at me. I'm glad that I'm not like this person and that person. And here is the sinner who just begs God to have pity on him, to have mercy on him. Because he realized that he's a sinful man. And so God's love was demonstrated when we were the worst. When we were at our worst. I want to park it there just for several seconds, and I want, you, I want that to sink in. God did not love you at your best. He loved you at your worst. When you were pitiful, wretched, naked, as it says in the book of Revelation. When you were at the worst, when you were in the midst of that sin, when you were being totally rebellious, when you decide that I'm not going to turn to God, I'm going to do my own thing. I'm the captain of my own ship. I'm going to do all this stuff by myself. That's when you come to that realization that God demonstrated his love, that while we were yet still sinners, that Christ died at the right time. I want you to notice the phrase, die for. You'll see that in verse 6, verse 7, and verse 8. This idea of die for is this concept of on behalf of or in place of. That should have been us on the cross. But he died for, in place of, on behalf of, he died for us. He sacrificed, he demonstrated that it should have been us dying. He goes, no, you know what, come down, I, I, I'm going to pay this price for you. When Jesus died for us, it showed the highest form of love and devotion. But this is the part that's important, that your love, my love, is completely different from God's love. We have some remnants of understanding of it, but it is totally different in nature and in degree. 
how much he loves is so different from human love. The nature of this love, which is unconditional, is so different from the earthly love. But we get a taste of it. We kind of understand it when we see a mother sacrificing for their children. We see it when there's a person who gives of themselves for somebody else. We get, we get a glimpse of it, but it's completely different from God's love, both in nature of that love and the degree of that love. And so here, what he's saying in verse 9 and 10 is this continual argument from greater to lesser. Listen to this. This is important. What Paul is saying, if God did this, the greatest thing, gave up his son to die on the cross for your sins, then he goes, whatever's down here, he can do it. Can I get a good amen to that? He can do it. You'll see this argument in chapter 8 later on. But what he's saying is from the greatest to the lesser. If you know that he loved you when you were pitiful, he loved you when you were powerless, he loved you in the state that you were in, in the perfect timing that he brought the understanding and the revelation of the gospel, and he did it in the highest form by dying on the cross, then what is it in your life that he cannot minister to you with? What is it that you're struggling with? What is it that you're going through? If you know this, the greater, then what is it about the lesser that you cannot trust or you do not believe. That's why this idea of reconciliation is not a new concept. But if he sent his son to die on the cross for your sins, then to be reconciled with him has been purchased for us by Jesus' blood. And if he has done that, then we can reconcile ourselves to uh, with other people because God has first reconciled us with him and now that we can reconcile with other people. I think that's one of the beautiful things about Paul that he talks a lot about in, in other letters that he wrote. He talks about the Jews and the Greeks and he, and he talks about just loving one another because he knew that if a person really understood the gospel, then there is not a single person that you cannot reconcile with. It's because you don't understand the gospel. You're still living in sin and still being bitter and still hating that person because you have not experienced the gospel, at least not to the fullness of it. This is another reason why you can tell if someone's mature in their faith because they are loving and they're forgiving. People will hurt you. Trust me. Right now, many of you have been hurt by other people. There's more that's going to come. More, you're going to get hurt. Your child will not respond the way you want them to respond. They're not going to do what you want them to do. Your spouse, you, you, there's going to be more hurt that's going to come your way. You think your roommate hurt you? Just wait. Because you're going to have, because four more months, you're like, woo, we're done. I have a new contract, new roommate. But you're going to be married, and it's a covenant for life. What are you going to do? Go outside and sleep and pit, pit, you know, get this tent going, and I'm like, I'm sleeping out here all by myself, spending time with God. No, it's going to get cold after a while. So you're going to want to come in. You, you see what I'm saying? The bottom line is, if you understand, understand the gospel, you've experienced the gospel, you will be able to be reconciled with others around you. That's why there should be no racism to those who understand the gospel message. If there's a race that you hate, that means you do not understand the gospel. Why should God have loved you? Why should he have loved you? That's why we can love those who are different from us. 
That's why we can love and forgive those people who have hurt us because we have hurt God, but he has forgiven us. So when you understand the gospel, you can love and forgive others. I'm going to stop here. Well, uh, one other thought. Verse 11, cool stuff. He closes out with the theme of rejoicing. Isn't that awesome? Paul starts with rejoicing, and then he closes out verse 11 with rejoicing. Because when you are reconciled with God and with one another, you can what? Rejoice. And how do you rejoice and have this hope? Character building, which comes through endurance and perseverance that comes through going through hard times. So don't spurn or hate difficulties. Welcome it. Bring it on. Because it's going to help me to endure. Because there's going to be more coming. Help me to endure, Lord, because it's going to build my character to make me more like Jesus Christ. So that when I become more like Jesus Christ, I can have this hope that does not alter or falter in any way. I can have this hope that will be secure in Him and Him alone. And that's when we can rejoice. That's why when you see somebody rejoicing, even though they're going through difficult times, things outside of their control, they have been shaped by the power of God's love. The one thing, once again, God's love gives us security even in times of uncertainty. I'm just going to give us some things to think about this coming week, and especially, as many of you know, we have ODF, One Desire Fast. And I just want to encourage us to be able to kind of follow through on some of these commitments that we're going to be making. The first thing is this. When you go through difficult times, even when you're facing different struggles, first thing is this. Pause to ask God, what is it that you're trying to say to me? Can you just do that before complaining, before turning to a friend? Just pause and simply say, God, what are you trying to say to me? You got my attention, Lord. I'm hurting. I'm suffering. Things are hard. What is it that you're trying to say to me? Because maybe what God is saying is stop trusting. You're putting your whole hope in people. Maybe God's saying, you got to let that go. That person, that thing, the thing you're chasing after, it's an idol. And I'm trying to prevent you from more heartaches. So pause and ask, God, what are you trying to say to me? The second thing is this. Pray for God's grace to give you strength. You cannot go through all difficult things on your own strength. Trust me. Pray. That's why we pray. Prayer is not so much a magical solution, but we're praying so that he will give us the strength that we need. The third thing is praise him ahead of time in faith. It's one of the most difficult practices to do, but I'm going to encourage us to do it. To praise God even though you haven't been delivered. Praise God even though you're still going through some of the struggles. Because what it does is it builds faith. That God, you're so great, you're so awesome. I'm going to praise you anyway. Great are you, Lord and most worthy of our praise. And then the fourth and last thing is this. Participate in the One Desire Fast. One of the best ways to really grow in character and perseverance is just learning how to fast from things that capture our attention to be able to do that. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Mission Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit our website at hongkong.hmcc.net.